Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on June the 6th, 2012. I always suggest that newcomers make use of the website while it's up there, uh, cuttingthroughthematrix.com and you'll find a whole list of sites uh, on the first page. They're all mine and they all give uh, the same audios really. Uh, if you find sticking on download, you go into the com site, try the other ones because I try, I try to spread the different files around there and lots of folk go into the com at the same time. So all those sites carry uh, audios for a free download, over a thousand of them. And they also carry transcripts in English for print-up. And if you want transcripts in other languages, go into alanwattsentinel.eu and take your pick from the choice offered there. Remember, too, you are the audience that bring me to you. I don't bring on uh, guests who are advertisers and terrify you and sell you things. They'll make you live forever. I just hope that uh, those who are listening get enough out of it. Well, I know they do already, but um, enough out of it to maybe help me keep it going along too because it's expensive even to do what I'm doing here. And it's it's more than a job, as I say. It's beyond a job. It's a a seven-day-a-week program, really, for uh, for what I have to do here just to keep this going. Remember, too, you can order the books and discs at cuttingthroughthematrix.com and you can uh, also donate as well through there. From the U.S. to Canada, remember, you can do uh, uh, PayPal, you can do international postal money order from the post office to Canada. You can also uh, use personal checks to Canada. Across the world, you're stuck with Western Union, MoneyGram, and PayPal. Remember, as I say, straight donations are really, really awfully welcome. And if you go through the website, you'll find answers to the questions that many of you have to do with this system. The distance, if when you're young, it doesn't seem right. It seems crazy, in fact. And sometimes, in fact, the intelligent youngsters who are asking questions will even think their parents are crazy for going along with it so kind of willingly and nonchalantly without even knowing what's really happening. We're going through big plan changes. This is the time for big plan changes. The whole of the 20th century was a time of big plan change, mind you, including the wars that were pre-planned. But um, the plan changes are big. All the different revolutions that we have, uh, mainly cultural revolutions, are all planned to alter society, to get them ready for the next step and the next step and the next step. And you'll find that they coincide with the, the Communist Manifesto, which is odd to some people because they can't imagine why capitalists would, number one, go along with the communist system. Well, the capitalists, you see, created communism. You can only get pl- uh, plan change in the Hegelian dialectic mode with having conflict. You need two sides to get conflict on the go. And really it's to do with changing everyone's minds along the way uh, through propaganda, massive propaganda through regular media, which is owned again by the same big bankers that own capitalism and communism. And their plan to bring in the world society is well documented even in the late 1800s. Some of them in the early clubs which they formed in Britain published books about it, and then in the 20th century, many, many more came out. 
to get a world government on the go. They thought it was a natural evolution, with themselves being the most highly evolved, uh, be in charge of it, of course. That's what they believe and still do today. So you're going through plan changes, planned long before you were born and your parents, and all the big crises that are created are necessary, they say, at the top to bring about and fulfill these planned changes. They always make a crisis and then they come out with the solutions and uh, they're quite open about that today. They actually boast about it in some newspapers occasionally. How can we use this crisis to our advantage? That's the common term that they use. And, and sometimes we'll say, how can we create the crisis to, to use to our advantage? So we're living through incredible changes and we have to go into austerity, and but to also redistribute all our wealth across the world, that's all your tax money, to their own corporations, the private corporations across the planet. Back with more after this. Hi folks, I am back, cutting through the matrix. But we do live in a, a completely controlled society, more controlled than ever, really, because before they depended upon propaganda, indoctrination through, even from cartoons all the way up to movies and sitcoms and so on, to, to get ideas of, of the next step across to destroy the old society. The old normals had to go, of course. And at the basis of it all was the family unit that had to be annihilated. And that's why they used labor for a long time. They came in and created a welfare state. And single parent families were the order of the day. And so they built nothing but single parent family homes for them all. And, um, there's great business as well for child care and child children's aid societies, etc. Uh, as well. But anyway, this is all part of a destruction of all that was to bring in the new, that, that which will be, as you say, at the top. And they did a very good job of it across the world. So, and once at the end of that era, once it was firmly established that marriage was pretty well dead and gone, they start to destroy the welfare system. And now the single mums are in trouble because they have to try and find jobs in a market that simply doesn't have them anymore. There's just too many people flooding in. So everything that happens is always created by long-term policies. And I mean long-term policies and strategies. It uh, always appears in the media as a, as a sudden crisis, of course, but these are always the results of long-term strategies. And we, we find that there's so many different organizations and think tanks, as I've said, thousands of them work constantly, some in double shifts even, uh, all year round, every year, with particular problems as given to them to solve. It can, be, can only be one problem, one area, for instance. It's no problem to do when the guys who control them are the biggest international bankers in the planet. They, they not only run the, the, the money system that lends to nations, if we want to call it lending what to nations these days, they don't ship gold over anymore. But they give you blips on your computer screen and, you, and the country can start operating again. Of course, there's compound interest to the blips and they want real wealth back in return. But they also own vast tracts of lands. Technically, they own whole countries, in a sense, as well. So we're in a new feudal system, as Carl Quigley and others said that they would bring in, this new feudal system with corporate CEOs all being the new feudal overlords as they go into private-public partnerships to run our lives, you see. Prisons are privatized. It's a for-profit industry now because you're free labor, slave labor, uh, just like China. 
And uh, so uh, the police in many countries now are being totally privatized by only two or three corporations, international corporations. We have um, big military industrial boys like Lockheed Martin running the nuclear industry. I'm talking about weapon warfare, etc. for Britain. It's privatized, you know, the fingers on the button, all that stuff. They're in charge of all that now. They're also in charge of the census for Canada and I think the States as well, which then farm out to the third world countries, mainly India, uh, including your tax reform uh, uh, returns as well. It's all done in India through Lockheed Martin, for those who didn't know. We're completely privatized. And part of the idea of this is too, is to do away with governments altogether down the road as the private corporations take over. And that's why they call it governance. That's a new term, of course, that you'll find everywhere. We're not quite there completely yet, but eventually the trainers, we're, we're getting there. And it's all a training exercise. Understand these guys uh, set out to work out the, the big plan in chunks of time. I mean, big chunks of time, not just five, ten-year plans, but 50-year plans, 100-year plans, and so on. And that's what some of these think tanks do. Where shall we be in 150 years' time? Will we have accomplished this, this, and this? Or or will it take longer on this particular aspect than that one? And this is what they're all paid for, uh, often by your tax money as well. But they're owned privately, these think tanks, by the big corporate bankers, international families. There's not many of them, actually. But they own the whole lot, lock, stock and barrel. And one of these ones here is to do with, uh, here's an article here, for instance, some, some sort of austerity is better than others. And it says Center for European Reform. That's only one of many, many groups out there. It's a think tank. And they pretend that they take in the people's, the general public's, uh, uh, emails and, and peruse them and give their opinion. But in reality, it's a done deal. And, uh, they're part of the Center for European Reform as well. The idea being that the initial idea of a completely integrated Europe that was pre-World War II, by the way, envisaged this, this, this particular type of system where eventually they would decentralize government to a certain extent. It's kind of called communitarianism today or the big society in Britain, for instance. And then what they do after a certain time of people uh, finding out that they need some kind of government to deal with certain problems, then they bring in the totally integrated Europe, the completely integrated Europe, where everything comes from the central authority. They even said in the 1940s and 50s uh, that this whole plan, laid it out actually, I've got their books here, and they they said that... um, and, and eventually they would take all sovereignty away from each nation bit by bit over a whole generation, maybe two generations, until people thought it was all quite normal and they'd emerge into this new society. And, of course, the bankers were to rule it all. You can go further back into Quigley's writings and others who worked with the Council on Foreign Relations on parts of this. And uh, they also mentioned that H.G. Wells, another propagandist for the Royal Society and the Royal Institute of International Affairs, and the Fabian Society, as a, as a co-founder, talked about it right after World War One, where he, he said that uh, we might get her uh, through the League of Nations. He says, now this League of Nations is established, which is simply the precursor, uh, the beta testing of the United Nations. He said that uh, our bureaucrats now don't have to go through uh, higher politicians. He says bureaucrats can go and talk directly to other bureaucrats on equivalent levels in other countries and make their own legislation. That's what he, how he puts it. And eventually will be totally, totally integrated. 
And that was, as I said, right after World War One. So there's no, there's no lack of evidence of what's uh, been going on at all. There's, there's simply no lack of it. It's only the public have been kept in a, a, a dizzying uh, helter-skelter of, of worries, uh, layoffs for all these years, uh, running for two or three jobs and working all at the same time just to get by as all of these upheavals occur. And then battered by the banking cartels, which really broke the bank on purpose at the time, knowing they'd lose nothing. In fact, they had, they had meetings years beforehand saying the governments will have to bail us out. And that was part of the strategy. They would use those, that kind of crisis to integrate and bring up what they'd said at the Royal Institute of International Affairs in the early, in the First World War. They would eventually create a, an international monetary fund, a World Bank, the Bank for International Settlements, the Banks for Overseas uh, co- uh, Cooperation and Development, they said, which have done all of that. And also uh, the, the IMF would be the heavy. They would control all the bookkeeping of all the ex-countries. You know, if you'd go into Karl Marx, he also talked about that, and sort of Lenin, how the nations would simply fade away, like by magic or something. No, it was all the same plan, worked by the same boys. And through conflict and crisis, they would get their way. And so here we are today. We're watching countries get pummeled by the, the gangster banksters, and uh, uh, massive compound interest rates will never get out of it. And that's part of the deal. And every crisis that they go into serves the, the, the elite at the top. They simply say, well, we've got to integrate all the banking systems together now too. So anyway, you look at this particular think tank, saying some sorts of austerity are better than others and all that prattle. And, and then, as I say, you can go into the, the history of what's really, really going on, what's behind it, why is this all happening, and, and so on. Now, one of them is the European Commission plan to deal with failing banks. And this is from the Telegraph. It says, the European Commission will propose far-reaching powers for regulators to deal with failing banks on Wednesday, a step towards the banking union, the banking union of the European Central Bank, and it has deemed, or it's demanded, it says, to secure the euro's future. So to make sure the euro's future is going to go on, they'll continue giving you crisis after crisis until you all agree to go into this new European banking system, a merged system with the European Central Bank in control of it all, basically which, of course, was written about, as I said, at the end of World War I. So there's nothing new under the sun. It's just new because the public have been reading the comics and watching the movies and playing themselves. And, of course, it's hard to remember all of these little snippets you get down through time from mainstream. They don't tell you much. It's just little hints at things. It's the books written by those involved in the big think tanks and in the global society meetings that you have to read. They're very boring, very dry, uh, but they tell you what's coming up in the future. So anyway, the European Commission's uh, proposing the furnishing powers for regulators to deal with failing banks Wednesday. And it says the proposal will suggest closer coordination between countries and powers to force losses on the bondholders of failing banks to prevent a repeat of the chaos following the 2008 collapse of U.S. investment bank, the Lehman Brothers. 
If it wins the backing of the EU countries and European Parliament, the law would represent a step in the direction of the banking union, union championed by the ECB President Mario Draghi, I guess his name is. The legislation is unlikely, however, to take effect before 2014, too late for Spain, which could be forced to seek a bailout if it cannot refinance its troubled lenders. And everybody's energy right now should be focused on the, on the current crisis, said Nicholas Veron of Brussels think tank Bruegel. I'm not sure we can afford the luxury of thinking about a permanent framework when the houses are burning. So, again, crisis, crisis everywhere. But the, the big boys are simply getting what they plan to get uh, almost, you know, almost 100 years ago. Think about it. The Commission's 156-page draft will suggest giving supervisors powers to bail in or force losses onto bondholders of a bank so that the taxpayers are kept off the hook. Well, they're not off the hook at all because they've already signed agreements with all this, this particular bank uh, that, that when they demand $12 billion from you at any time at all, you're given 14 days to comply or you get fined if you're part of the, the European Union. Beautiful deal, isn't it, eh? Hard to get these win-win you know, jobs, like a banker. Back with more after this. Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix, talking about this craziness. It appears crazy, of course, it always does, to do with banking, as though they just haven't got grips on what they're actually doing, and it's all confusion and all that nonsense. It's, it's, all, it's, it's bogus to start with. I mean, the whole banking industry is utterly bogus. has been for an awful, awful long time. It even started with, with fra- fractional reserve banking, that was bad enough. Even before that, when you actually did keep stocks of gold, you know, full stocks of gold, and they cover all the money you were putting out. Even then, it was it was full of compound interests, where you could once you took a loan out, you could never get yourself out from under it. It was stuck there for life, the con after con after con. And then it went into fractional reserve, and then I think it went down to 11% of what you actually need could be kept in the bank. The rest you could loan out, and for every dollar you got in, you could you could loan out $11 out of nothing. You know, that's how they create loans and stuff. So it's all magic and nonsense and, and pretense uh, run by the guys who do understand it, which are the, who are the economists, but they know, they know it's a scam. That's what they understand. That's the part you, that's the only part you have to understand. It's a complete scam, you see. So under the, the, the con of money, they can put whole nations at ransom. They can break them, take them down into poverty, starvation, even if they want to. Even though everything's still there, seeds there, no farmers are there, factories are there, everything stops because the money stops to, to, to circulate. It's a con, and it's a powerful tool to be used. Uh, it's one of the most powerful tools, of course, on the planet, because most folk just give up and starve to death when they're told to. Amazing, isn't it? But it says here, every time the euro crisis begins to intensify, this is from Der Spiegel, a new idea for solving it seems to start bouncing around European capitals. This week's talk is focused on the concept of creating a European banking authority to keep watch on those financial institutions that are too big to fail. And with Chancellor Angela Merkel and European Commission, uh, Commission President Jose Manuel Barroso, Having discussed the idea over veal cutlets, so we can afford veal there, and white asparagus, if it's all uh, organic as well, in Berlin on Monday, it seems likely that it will figure prominently on the agenda of the European Union summit scheduled for later this month, it says. 
And we'll also talk about the extent to which we have to put systematically important banks under a specifically European oversight. This is a whole idea that was mentioned by the Milner Society that were made up of international bankers and their sons a hundred years ago. So that the national interests don't play too large of a role, Merkel said prior to her working dinner. Uh, these are mid-term goals. And it says... Um, the idea of a European banking union was floated last week by the European Commission as a way of ultimately clearing the way for using European funds to directly bail out needy banks. Needy banks. Can you believe it? Needy banks. Yeah. On the continent, Germany has proposed such direct bailouts thus far due to the absence of EU oversight mechanisms. And what they really want is a more uh, cohesive, more integrated financial system. And that's what Barroso was prattling on about, too. He's been on about that since the days of when he was a communist. And um, Barroso also added that the European deposit guarantees should also be part of the discussion. A proposal broached last week by both the European Central Bank and the European Commission. He said that Europe must do whatever is necessary to ensure the stability of our currency. So one way or another, uh, they're going to get, uh, it doesn't matter how much it costs you, bailing out countries forever and never, amen, uh, they must keep this euro going, because uh, it's a big symbol, of course, of the integration of Europe, this single currency, although it's all a con anyway. And um, and everyone must change and give up more sovereignty as they go into deeper and deeper integration. That's really what it boils down to. You see, it was planned a long time ago. Remember, they've got their own anthem and everything else now, and history didn't start until they had a European Union. There was no history before that. It was just a kind of barbaric chaos and, and dark ages stuff. So we're, we're living in fantasy, as I say, as it's put across in these ways, because, as I say, this was decided a long, long, long time ago, before even the two world wars. And nothing's really changed from then. They never really changed their, their agenda. They simply, I think I might get a problem. They've already got 10,000 ways to get around it because of all the think tanks that they've got working on it. Now, Canada occasionally acts very, very quickly on things. And uh, I mentioned the massive omnibus bill yesterday. And for Canada, it's going to affect everybody. We need, we need 10,000 lawyers to reinterpret it. And uh, luckily, we have some people in the world who have slight autism, and they become tremendous readers. You know, they get stuck on something, they get really into something, and they don't give up till they're finished. And hopefully they'll, they'll get into uh, this massive omnibus bill and start making sense of it to the, all the rest of us, because we really need it very, very badly. But it's a bath salts drug. This is the zombie drug they're calling it. You know, it's been out for a while, apparently. This is a drug and an ingredient that's to be made illegal in Canada. It's amazing how they can suddenly do that, eh? because a guy eats himself, somebody else down in America. But it says, due to the latest Miami incident in which a man high on bath salts, as I like to call it, attacked another man and ate up his ear and lips, the, the federal government of Canada has... Can you imagine actually reading this stuff these days? Eh? It's just like the movies. I always give you the movies first. And they said to make a methyl, a methylene uh, dioxypyrovalerone, it's called, the main ingredient used in the making of bath salts illegal. So the health minister, Leona Aklukak, it's called, she's called, announced uh, Tuesday that the government would list the MDPV, that's the shorter version of the drug, on Schedule 1 of the Controlled Drugs and Substances Act. And I, I won't stop it, though. I think it's one of these crazies that go around. And um, it'll run its course one way or another until people get f- tired of the new cuisine, maybe. But uh, apparently it's uh, they sell it in little packages, and someone sent me a, a link to a 
picture of the packaging that they put on it that, so that you know it's actually this. It's not your real bath salt that you go and, you know, drink your suds where you're soaking in suds. It's, uh, it's something else. Back with more after this. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. I'm Alan Watt. We're back cutting through the matrix. And in talking about the grisly things that happen in the world, as the next phase of dehumanization obviously comes into effect. And, and the stories of the zombie attacks are all over the place. There's just too many to count. And, uh, and just the other day now, some chef, who's a transgender, as I like to call it, in, uh, in Japan, apparently, got the surgeons to keep his family jewels, which he made a barbecue of, and even put out, you know, dinner plates for guests that paid about $1,200 uh, a plate, apparently. And it's lucky hand in Japan, because in, in China, you know, they like things live there. They're still jumping about on the plate. They're quite something to see that. But still, this is how, how crazy all the things all the, all the things are happening. The point to today, everything's going crazy, as they get in the fact that we're all just barbaric and nuts. Mind you, there are a lot of nutty folk out there too who've been told that they're all quite normal and that's part of the problem as well as this surfaces and a lot of things you can't really talk about in any depth these days but but that's all part of it too. Now, we're, we're in such a controlled society today from birth to death. It's been left for a long, long time in fact, long before the computer came in, for us anyway. And Old Lucky Man had a good little scene in it uh, where the guy sets off from school thinking he's going to get a good job as a salesman. He starts to learn what life's all really about as opposed to what he's been taught it's about at school. And he has a, a run-in with some intelligence agents at a nuclear station. And, uh, and they know all about him. It's quite comical the way that it was done in the movie where they even knew when he was thrown out of school, who threw him out and whose headmaster was and all of that kind of stuff. They've been keeping records on everyone across the world in great detail from the, the late 40s, early 50s, and, and Jacques e. E. Lull talked about that. He said they used a card deck system, had all your scorecards at school, had all that system, all your information on it, and all the jobs that you'd had since then. And it was all kept secretly by the police, because the police have always been a police state, whether you like it or not. That's a fact. That's how it really has always been. And that was in the States, in Canada, across the, the British Empire, everywhere, and France too. So... Nothing's new except they're better at it and they've got more information, plus the idiots give them all their information every day on the internet as to what they're doing with all their sock puppet friends. You know, what are you up to today? Sock, you know, and they, sock, they tell a sock puppet what you're up to and it goes right to uh, your little cloned little you, the virtual you inside the Pentagon, where they play games on it for predictability purposes. Anyway, Derbyshire Council is a good example to install £2.8 million worth of social care database. Local authorities, children, young adults, departments to replace 25 existing databases. Right? This is one, one area, just Derbyshire. 25 existing databases with one single system. So they're announcing plans to improve outcomes and reduce costs by installing a new £2.8 million single database. The system will allow a range of, of uh, 
partner agencies, including the police and a lot of private corporations too, the police, National Health Service and schools to share information on children and young adults at risk. Now, since they've got the whole population down at risk, that means everybody, obviously. See how they word it all? Derry Sherbrooke employs 16,675 employees, currently has 25 different databases in place. The authority says that having multiple systems has sometimes made it difficult to staff, uh, for the staff to get a clear overview of a single family or child as they have to log into a number of different databases. Look at the employees all working on watching the children, you know, and nosy, nosy agencies, eh? I mean, 16,675 employees, that's the welfare state for you. It's like the Stasi state, actually. Stasi state. That's what we're under. You know, Lenin said this too. I mean, Lenin knew a lot of stuff. Don't, don't just, you know, throw him off. I mean, Lenin was top of the best bankers on the planet for his role in, in, in you know, the dictatorship for the, a generation, he said, and then the, the, the nations will wither away, which we're doing right now. We're, we're all going private in chunks. But anyway, you got to understand that he said eventually all these services in, in uh, the, the West would become authorities. And there'd be so many authorities, uh, all vying for power, that they'd be literally stepping on each other's territory, encroaching on each other's territory, that they'll be at, at odds with each other. We're at that today. There's so many these so-called services making big, big bucks, uh, all fighting each other uh, for supremacy, really. And that's happening in the States, Canada, everywhere. There's a lot of big bucks involved for every child to take away from parents. Big bucks. It's a growing industry. Here's, here's a type of stupid thing that you get from uh, media, uh, and it's very, very common. Of course, I've watched this for years, but like it's a brand new thing. Eh? Child-targeted ads concern 90% of parents, it says. And it says, the vast majority of parents remain concerned about the sexualization of childhood a year after the government pledged to tackle the issue. Government can't tackle anything like that. They can cause the problems. And they can get the go-ahead for all the porno stuff that ends up all over your TV set and in your books and then get taught at school. But they can't solve problems, you see. They're good at creating them. That's their job, is to create problems. And uh, then you bring specialists in from private places to solve them. That's how they work together. But I mean, imagine coming out with this today, like this was just happening today. Uh, it says, a report has found that 90% of parents are concerned by inappropriate adverts and billboards and music videos. Well, they've just noticed this. They've been doing this since the 1960s. You've got three generations or four generations of mums here, all getting further degraded. And that's why they sit with their child and watch the next bunch of stuff that's degrading, until what's degrading anymore and what's sexualized. You see, contamination, uh, as Besmanov said, takes time and it works through the generations. And they've contaminated generation after generation until literally uh, the parents today think there's nothing really odd about watching somebody dance around the stage with their legs wide open and hardly a skimpy thing on at all. And, and the child's watching it along with them. Come on, this is all part of the agenda. So let's scrub this rubbishy article uh, from Yahoo because it's, it's just that. It's nothing but rubbish. The activist post, it says, 21 signs that this could be a long, hot, crazy summer for the global financial system. And it says it's shaping up to be very similar to the summer of 2008. It says um, things do not look this bad, in the summer, did not look as bad in the summer of 2011, and things certainly do not, did not look as bad in the summer of 2010. It's almost as if a perfect storm is brewing today, the global financial system. 
is a finely balanced pyramid of risk, debt and leverage, and in other words, chronology. Such a system requires a high degree of confidence, this is all confidence tricksters, you see, and stability. But when confidence disappears and fear and panic take over, the house of cards can literally start collapsing at any time. Right now we're watching the slow motion train wreck unfold and nobody seems to know how to stop it. Unless some kind of a miracle happens, things are going to look much different when we reach the start of 2013 than they do today. And it gives you 21 signs that this could be a long, hot, crazy summer for the global financial system. And they go through uh, different articles here as to the signs and symptoms of the agenda. Because this is the agenda. Remember, they also want the World Bank to come up to its full strength as well as the World Bank and the Bank for International Settlements that, 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 that decides uh, on all the debt and the defaulters and all the rest of it. See. So I'll put this link up tonight and you can peruse that, the, the signs and symptoms of chronology. And also, I'll just a little funny one too. Now, Al-Qaeda was a nonsense term that was brought up by uh, agencies, basically private agencies or the CIA. And former British Secretary uh, Robin Cook actually mentioned this. But it says, the widely known translation of Al-Qaeda, sometimes spelled Al-Qaeda, different spelling, is the base, the base. Now, I can remember listening to a guy from, I think it was Afghanistan, trying to explain this that it was a term that they was used for all the intelligence services, uh, CIA assets, for instance, that were left over from uh, the war of, of Afghanistan and the Soviet Union. So they used to phone in particular numbers and they would get through to what they called the base. And so uh, the term was Al-Qaeda. But because it was a, um, a, a kind of a covert operation, they also had a, another name for it because... It says, this is not the only translation of the ominous term. There's another, it's called Ana Recha Al-Qaeda. It's a colloquial term for, I'm going to the toilet. A very common and widespread use of the word Al-Qaeda in different Arab countries in the public languages for the toilet bowl. The name comes from the Arabic verb Ka'ada, which means to sit permanently, eh, pertinently, not permanently, I hope not anyway, on the toilet bowl. And most Arab homes, there are two kinds of toilets. So it's the, the Al-Qaeda, also called the Hammam uh, Franji, or toilet, foreign toilet, and the Hammam Arabi, or the Arab toilet, which is a hole in the ground. They actually have them in Britain for a lot of the immigrants in factories there. And it says, or little Al-Qaeda. Why would a terrorist group call itself the toilet? Did Osama really chose, choose the name his terror, terror network after potty humor? The CIA came up with the name and are still laughing about it to this day. So the CIA came up with the name, you see. The truth is there's no Islamic army or terrorist group called Al-Qaeda. There never was a group called that. And any informed intelligence officer knows this, but there's a propaganda campaign to make the public believe in the presence of an identified entity representing the devil, only in order to drive the TV watcher to accept a unified international leadership for a war against terrorism. The country behind this propaganda is the U.S., and that was said by former British Foreign Secretary Robin Cook, who was an expert, by the way, in Arabic countries and affairs. So there's the, the farce of that one. It goes down the hole. And 500,000 people so far have been screened in terror checks to do with the, the, the Olympics. 
Up to 500,000 people from across the world are being screened to try and to, to stop next month's Olympic Games from being targeted by criminals or terrorists. We'll have to go nuts if they see Al-Qaeda here. The stringent security checks were designed to ensure nothing will be left to chance at the Home Office. And officials from the Home Office and the Security Service have completed screening about two-thirds of the domestic and foreign accreditation uh, applications from athletes, coaches, security staff and media from more than 200 competing nations, it said. All leave has been suspended at MI5 to ensure the service has its full complement of some 3,800 staff for the Olympics, uh, double the number it had a decade ago after the September 11 uh, terror attacks is understood. And it says, no separate Olympic security unit has been set up. The threat to the UK from international terrorism is currently rated substantial. They always say that, eh, when, when they do this. The third highest of five levels. They can't tell you how they know this, so it's just it's a high secret, you see. And will not be increased simply because the games are getting closer. If it does rise, it will be uh, because specific intelligence indicates the threat has increased, perhaps because of a plot or because of a number of different circumstances which have raised the risk. It could be because the toilets are plugged in the games and people can't go. There'll be thousands there. There will be two plugged probably because there's all these choppers with rifles pointing at folk and missiles on warships in the Thames. I think that may them all go. It says the rating is set by the Joint Terrorism and Analysis Centre based at the MI5's headquarters at Thames House in central London, but is independent of the service. So they can throw out all the cash on this nonsense that nobody watches anymore except the people involved. And um, why spend that kind of cash when you're supposedly broke? They always walk away leaving tabs of billions of uh, pounds left to pay up years later. You know, sometimes 20 years later. I'm not kidding. For this extravaganza of, of farce. Now, another piece of rubbish I'm going to read tonight too is called Geoengineering the Sky. Like they haven't been doing it since 98. Just talking about doing it, you see. They climatize a lot of folk out there who haven't a clue that it's going to be done. But if you can remember the, the light bulbs, the, the normal ones, not these rubbishy yellow things that give off a radio frequency off them. They contain mercury, but they all have a white coating on them because they knew from the days of about 1920 or so that the white coating diffuses the light and it seems to be brighter, right? Remember that part. And it says here, geoengineering a whiter sky, right? This is pure propaganda and rubbish. Uh, one idea for fighting global warming is to increase the amount of aerosols in the atmosphere, scattering incoming solar energy away from the Earth's surface, even though we're, we're getting colder all the time. Uh, it was the coldest Copenhagen time, I think, forever in the last 80 years, just the other day. But scientists theorize that the solar geoengineering could have a side effect of whitening the sky during the day. Wow, like we haven't been seeing that for, since 1998, right? New research from Carnegie's Ben Kravitz and Ken Caldera indicates that blocking 2% of the sun's light would make the sky 3 to 5 times brighter, as well as whiter. It's going to be better for you. It's not wonderful. You'll choke and your lungs coughs up and the whole rest of it. But don't worry about that. You're going to have a nice bright sky. Their work is published in June the 1st in Geophysical Research Letters, a journal of the American Geophysical Con Union, because it's another big con, of course, itself, too. Everybody's in it. It's, it's a, a money winner for themselves. You know, they, if this goes back to nothing, they'll all be looking for work, you understand. You know. 
So I'll put up this rubbish article. They've just found out what, what will happen when you basically coat the sky in particles, just like a light bulb. And it, my goodness, it looks whiter, even though we're going into global dimming at the same time, because the sun can't get through. Alabama adopts the first official state ban on the United Nations Agenda 21, it says. Alabama became the first state to adopt a tough law protecting private property in due process by prohibiting any government involvement with or participation in a controversial United Nations scheme known as Agenda 21, also called Millennium Project. I hope they also put that down in a whole bunch of other terms they use for the same thing. Activists from across the political spectrum celebrated the measure's approval as a significant victory against the United Nations' sustainability plot, expressing hope that similar sovereignty-preserving measures would be adopted in other states as a nationwide battle heats up. The Senate Bill SB 477, uh, known uh, unofficially among some supporters as the Due Process for Property Rights Act, was approved unanimously by both sides of the House and Senate. After hesitating for a few days, uh, late last month, Republicans Governor Robert Bentley finally signed into law the widely popular measure, but only after heavy pressure from activists forced his hand. Virtually no mention of the law was made in the establishment press, but analysts said the measure was likely the strongest protection against the United Nations scheme passed anywhere in America so far. The law aimed at protecting private property rights specifically prevents all state agencies and local governments in Alabama from participating in the global scheme in any way. In other words, they can't kick you off your land because they find a frog living there or something, something like that, you see. But you have to go into the whole Millennium Project as well as the Edge Agenda 21, and you've got to go into your local councils and kick out that bunch that, that just grafted themselves on without your electing them that represent the Agenda 21 uh, group. So good luck on that. And Andrew Huxley, Nobel Prize winning uh, physiologist, it says here. Uh, dies at 94. They all live to a fair age, some of these characters. Here. So, Sir William Huxley, the British scientist from an illustrious family whose boyhood mechanical skills led to career in physiology, the mechanical engineering of living things, he called it, and a Nobel Prize for explaining the electrical basis of bodily in- in movement, died Wednesday. He was 94. His death was announced by Cambridge's University, Trinity College, where he served as master from 1984 to 1990. And uh, he was the half-brother of the novelist Aldous and Julian Huxley's. And he shared the 1960 Nobel Prize in Physiology or Medicine. Back with more after this. Hi folks, I'm back, cutting through the matrix, and I'll put a couple of articles up on the Bilderbergs as well, although you can go to the website and you get run down over the many, many years of what really they've been up to, you know, is glean some information from it. But forget them too, you've also got the G20, who or who arranged that, did we vote for that, did anybody get asked if they wanted a G20 or a G8 or a G anything else? Uh, of course not. And of course these characters run the world by creating these private clubs by, and, and it recruits your prime ministers and presidents to attend it. So what's the point in having democracy when they can just go and create their own private world clubs for world government and all the rest of it? So what's the point of that? 
and even use your tax money to fund it all into the billions every time they have a meeting and then make laws that affect every single one of you, like taking your cash off you uh, and then throwing it across the planet elsewhere. Now, ATF agents point machine guns at an eight-year-old. This is a, the latest, one of the latest things that's happened. I'm sure it's happening all over uh, as they create more and more organizations. Again, just like Lena said, so many uh, BATF and you've also got ATF and you've got the, 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 the so many different SWAT teams now. This it shouldn't go and shoot folk, you see. A Colorado woman has filed a, a lawsuit after agents from the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms and Explosives, the ATF, entered her home without a warrant and threatened her and her eight-year-old son while looking for a previous tenant who'd left the address more than a year earlier. They're always doing this mix-up. At least they didn't kill them this time. According to the filing from Linda Griego, it was in June 15, 2010, when officers with the ATF as part of the Regional Anti-Gang Enforcement Task Force the only gangs you see now, folks, are the guys wearing the ATF gear, the black outfits, the masks, machine guns. That's your new gangs. I hope you realize that. Violet entered her home without a warrant, handcuffed and pointed guns at her and her son Colby Frias. They had multiple machine pistols pointed at my son and I could see the laser sights on his body and he began to freak out. When I was cuffed, I had to calm him down while the officers broke down his bedroom door. They're very, very delicate, these characters. Her legal action is against the Greeley Police Department and the ATF for illegally entering the home without a warrant. And to this day, uh, they've still not produced a warrant uh, authorizing it to enter the home. So a couple of months ago, Frias and a friend over to the house and the family ordered a pizza. When it arrived, the delivery driver gave a loud knock on the door. It scared my son so badly he jumped over the couch to hide. This was two years later. And it still bothered him. Hey, I'm sure it would bother you because, I mean, even at that age, they know what laser sights are. You know, they know what it's all about. Yeah. This is not America. That's not the U.S. Yeah, you, you, you all know that. Everybody out there knows that. That's not the U.S. You have authorized gangs of terrorists uh, wearing black, authorized by the big gang at the top, you know, the guys who own the country, uh, terrorizing the general population. And this should not be happening. That should not be happening anywhere. In any day, that should not be happening. And there's so many cases where they storm into homes, wrong homes generally, and kill everybody there. Oh, oops, and nothing happens. Disgusting. But that's not America, that's not U.S. At one time, there was gumption in the U.S. But one time, of course, that you had real families and, and you had two parents and guys had something to stand up for and other guys would stand beside them too in the similar positions. It's all been destroyed pretty well. Long-term strategies always wins in the end, you see. From Hamish with Zelfra, Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me. Your God or your gods go with you.